Hello everyone, welcome to the Memorial Heights Baptist Church podcast. Here you'll find archived all of our previous messages dating back to late 2020. Our hope is that today's message would be encouraging to your walk with Christ. We also want to thank you for spending time listening today and encourage you to share these messages with a friend so they too might hear the Word of God. But for now, grab your Bible, open your ears, and let's get to it. Turn with me one more time to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 50. And while you're turning there, how many of you like to play with Legos? It's all right, Grandma and Grandpa, you're allowed to like Legos. You don't have to, it's not just for kids. How many of you have ever dumped out a pile of Legos, maybe something that you got for Christmas or your kid, your grandkid got for Christmas, and it was just a pile of chaos, and you thought to yourself, how is this ever going to come together? How is this ever going to work? Certainly there are, there are pieces here that I, don't, I can't imagine where this would fit in. I know I looked at the box. I looked at what it's supposed to look like. I have no idea where this is supposed to go. And if you are with someone who is better at that kind of thing than I am, because I'm not a very technical person, I'm not good at following directions, uh, I'm you know, the person who puts something together and then there's extra parts laying there and I'm like, what did I miss? <laughs> where, where, is that supposed to, where was that supposed to go? How important was that? But if you're with somebody who is skilled, who has uh, experience putting those kinds of things together or just good at it, uh, it's amazing sometimes how quickly those things can come together and how that pile of colors can turn into something quite majestic. Uh, Our nephew, Parker, is uh, uh, he's always been a, a lover of Lego and he's always been really good at it, but he's become a collector and is actually making money now off of putting sets together and selling them and and buying things and and finding out you know what's collectible and what's not and and uh, it's just amazing to see uh, somebody who can look at a pile and put it together and make it something beautiful that's a very simple picture But it's a picture of what God does in our lives when we let him put the pieces together. There are are pieces in our life story that when we look back, apart from God, we would say, where could this ever fit? How is this going to work? There are times when the pieces seem, certainly this must be broken. How How can this ever fit? But as we look at the scriptures we see the promise of God one of those places being Romans chapter 8 where God tells us he promises us but but Paul says if if you're saved if if you have come to a point in your life when you're recognized that you're a sinner bound for hell but that God loved you so much he sent his son Jesus Christ the son of God God the son Sent him to earth to die for your sin in your place. 
to take your penalty and that he died for you and rose victoriously from the dead. And now because of his grace, when we receive him as our savior, when we turn from our sin and turn to the savior, call upon him, not by works, but by grace, we're saved, received through faith. Paul says, if you're saved, you already know that God works all things together for good. We see it in the cross and the empty tomb. We see it in the suffering of our Savior and the victory of our Savior. You already know that God works all things together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. God has a purpose for everything he allows. And God is even bigger than our failures. God is even bigger than our rebellion. God took the rebellion of Jonah and he made an amazing illustration out of that. He used that in Jonah's life to propel him into the city of Nineveh. And so also, as we've seen time and again in this study through the life first of Abraham, then of Isaac, then of Jacob, and now uh, tonight, the conclusion to our study of the sons of Jacob, specifically Joseph, but not just Joseph, we have been looking at. We have seen time and time again, God taking man's failures and man's rebellion and working those things together and bringing beauty from the ashes. Now, as we get ready to close out this amazing book, this foundational book of the scriptures tonight, uh, we're not going to, there's way too much for us to review. I mean, we, we started this series really back in at the very end of chapter 11 and chapter 12, the calling of Abram. We've, we've been in, the, in this book together for um, a, a long time. And so there's way too much for me to try to summarize tonight. Uh, over all that we've covered. But let me just remind you of the two great life lessons that we have been learning from the trials of Joseph, one of those sons of Jacob. We've seen, uh, beginning in Genesis 39, God's purposes are beyond our understanding. God's purpose, God has purposes for what, what is going on in our life that we will never understand Sometimes until after the event, sometimes not until we get to heaven. I just want to warn you. Sometimes you're not going to get your questions answered until you stand before the throne. And even then, sometimes we're, we're, we're just not going to care anymore. We're going we're gonna to be like, okay, I'm good, God. <laughs> I'm good. But we have to remember that God is so much bigger than us. God says to us in Isaiah, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. So don't get, don't get lost. Don't get, don't get caught up in, in the things that you don't know and can't know. His purposes are beyond our understanding. God will use and allow various trials in our lives to accomplish his purposes. Sometimes, as we'll see tonight again, He'll use our trials to benefit others. Uh, but the L Lord is always using our trials to benefit us. Because of that, you say, I don't see the benefit. Well, not yet. <laughs> not yet. But when you stand before the throne, 
and the, the, the testimony of our life passes through the fire of God's judgment. And remember, when we're in heaven, we're not being judged on whether you get in or not. You're already in, okay? We're not, we're not saved by our works, but we are rewarded based on our works. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that when we stand before the throne as believers, that the testimony of our life is going to pass through the fire of God's judgment. And all that we did for ourselves, all that we did just for fun, There's nothing wrong with having fun, nothing, nothing wrong with having hobbies, nothing wrong with taking a break. But all that we did that was just for us, it's going to turn out to be wood and hay and stubble. And it's going to go. But the things that we did for God, the prayers that we prayed in our pain, that we prayed to the Lord, the, the times where we took those questions without answers and we brought them before God and we said, God, I don't understand but even in tears, we say, I, God, I trust you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay faithful. Gold, silver, precious stones. In the book of Revelation, God reminds us, hey, I've got every single tear you've ever cried. I've, kept, I've counted every single one. And see, he, he can do that. He can keep count. I can't even count the hairs on my own head. And, and they're getting easier to count every year. But God can count the number of the hairs on my head and God can count every tear that I've ever cried in my life and God's counted every tear that you've ever cried. And so God will uh, use those trials that we've endured by faith and he will bring great reward out of, of those. And then the second thing I would just remind you of before we dive into chapter 50 is that God blesses those who are faithful. The just shall live by his faith, Habakkuk 2.4 records the promise of God. Paul takes that one simple statement, not even an entire verse out of the Old Testament. The just shall live by his faith. And Paul builds the entire book of Romans on that one statement of fact, that one promise of God. And so as Joseph was forsaken, we saw that he was still faithful and God blessed him. As Joseph was framed, we saw that God was with him and Joseph remained faithful. And as Joseph was forgotten in prison, he remained faithful and God was with him. And God ultimately blessed him and through him blessed his father, blessed all his brothers, blessed his children, blessed his nieces and nephews, blessed the entire family. Now, we, I, I said to turn to Genesis chapter 50, uh, but let's just look again in chapter 49 that Jacob has passed away after he has blessed his sons, and he's um, said that he's going to be uh, buried with Leah and with his parents. In verse 33, when Jacob had made an end of commanding his sons, he gathered up his feet into the bed. He yielded up the ghost and was gathered unto his people. It was the time. God gave him that grace to know that this is the dot, this is the time, this is the day, this is the time. And he gave him the strength and energy he needed to bless his sons. And then Jacob said, All right, now it's time to now it's time to go. And he got up in bed and he was gathered unto his people. That statement there, gathered unto his people, a reminder. That he died 
in the physical sense, but he did not go to some kind of soul sleep. He did not cease to exist. Jesus spoke about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the present tense. Jesus said, God is not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. And so Jacob, yes, he was, he was leaving his family on earth, but he was going to be with his family who had gone before because of the faith that they had uh, in the Lord. And so with that reminder, let's now look at Genesis chapter 50, concluding this uh, major study on the, uh, the walk of faith of the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the sons of Israel, uh, this mini-series within that on the sons of Israel, and then this mini-mini-series within that on the legacy of family, part four of our legacy of family, as we conclude this series, uh, Genesis chapter 50. This chapter has been called the end of the beginning, uh, and it's almost an epilogue on the lives of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, at this, as the sons of Jacob the, begin to do life after the patriarchs, begin to experience what it's like, these three great prophets of God that have been used by God, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Now they are all, even Jacob has gone on. And here in this chapter, we're going to see some final lessons on living a life of faith, which really will serve as a review. I, I said we're not going to take time to review everything that we've studied over the last several years, but uh, this will be a, a mini review uh, uh, and a reminder of some of the major lessons that we've learned over this series. Look here in verses 1 through 14 at this first lesson. And Joseph fell upon his father's face and wept upon him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants to the uh, physicians to embalm his father. Interesting, uh, he does not give them, uh, give the body of his father to the, uh, to the priests who would do typically the embalming, the Egyptian embalming process because of the spiritual ramifications of such an act. So instead of turning it over, turning his body over to, to the official morticians of his day, he gave him specifically to the physicians to embalm him, and the physicians embalmed Israel. And 40 days were fulfilled for him, so, for so are fulfilled the days of those which are embalmed. And the Egyptians mourned for him threescore and ten days, and when the days of his mourning were passed, Joseph spake unto the house of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found grace in your eyes, speak, I pray you, in the ear, ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, Lo, I die in my grave which I have digged for me in the land of Canaan. There shalt thou bury me. Now therefore let me go up, I pray thee, and bury my father, and I will come again. And Pharaoh said, Go up and bury thy father, according as he hath made thee swear. Joseph went up to bury his father, and with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his house, and all the elders of the land of Egypt. This is a, uh, a, a political entourage. This is a major event. This is the entire nation going into mourning. 
This is the, the, the work of the entire nation of Egypt being placed on hold as all of these leaders go on a trip. And this wasn't just j- jump on a plane or jump on a train. This was a major excursion that they were going to go uh, to the land of Canaan for this very solemn ceremony. And all of the house of Joseph, verse 8, and his brethren and his father's house, only their little ones and their flocks and their herds, they left in the land of Goshen. And there went up with him both chariots and horsemen. And it was a very great company. And they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond Jordan. And there they mourned with a great and very sore lamentation. And he made a mourning for his father Seven days. And when the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning in the floor of Atad, they said, This is a grievous mourning to the Egyptians. Wherefore the name of it was called Abel Mizraim, which is beyond Jordan. And his sons did unto him according as he commanded them. For his sons carried him into the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah, which Abraham bought with the field for a possession of a burying place of Ephron the Hittite. Before Mamre and Joseph returned into Egypt, he and his brethren and all that went up with him to bury his father after he had buried his father. The first point I want to bring out tonight is a very simple one. It seems maybe like a very obvious one, but I fear it's one that we don't necessarily take as seriously as as we sometimes should. For those of us who will walk the life of faith, we have to be prepared to experience the loss of the people that we love, the loss of our loved ones. It's for some reason seems to take Christians sometimes by surprise that uh, those who would follow Christ will suffer the same kinds of suffering that everyone suffers because we live in a fallen world. And unless we are The generation, I believe that we are the generation that will go up when the trumpet sounds, when Jesus Christ comes back for his church. I believe that. I do. I was surprised it wasn't last year. I expect it to be this year. If I'm wrong, maybe it'll be next year. I, I want to live every day like it could happen today. But even if we are the generation, that does not mean that God has promised me that I will be alive to see it no one is guaranteed tomorrow i remember a uh, one of at the time one of my favorite uh, uh, prophecy teachers he wrote a couple books that i i really liked and i liked a lot of what he had to say about prophecy but he w- had he was absolutely convinced and i notice i'm saying this in the past tense he was absolutely convinced that god had promised him that he would live to see the rapture And as he uh, became sick with cancer and as he began to uh, uh, experience the loss of his health. And I can remember him getting on on YouTube and and saying, you know, I still believe I still believe God. I still believe what I what what I feel like God has told me. And, And the truth of the matter is he will live to see the rapture, but not going up. He's coming down. Because uh, he did pass away a number of years ago. And sometimes we can get in our head something that our spirit has told us that we think is the Holy Spirit that is not the Holy Spirit. 
And so we have to expect that we will walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And we will do that uh, because of the people that we love who go before us. And then if the Lord tarries, we ourselves will walk through that valley uh, and we will walk through it with the Lord. But we all have to walk. If we live long enough, if the Lord tarries, we all have to walk that path. And the only one who can walk it with us is, is the one who has conquered death, Jesus Christ. And so for those of us who have lost loved ones, and this past year was a very hard year, and, and as we've already seen, uh, this year has already started with the loss of loved ones. Uh, uh, Dave uh, Mawinney's uh, Aunt Ruth, uh, a woman that I've known for many years, dearly loved, uh, known her since the very beginning uh, of our time here when she before she was Ruth Pence, um, uh, went home to be with the Lord this morning. And uh, Ramona's brother uh, just passed away. And there are others um, already this year uh, that have gone on to be with the Lord. And so what do we do? Well, we need to learn how to grieve. We need to learn to grieve the loss of our loved ones. And let me say this. How we grieve is evidence of what we believe. How we grieve is evidence of what we believe. Sometimes we, we think that people should be holier than God, and we want to be judges of how long other people should grieve, or how deeply they should grieve, uh, or how vocally they should grieve. And the fact of the matter is that everyone deals with grief differently, even within a, even within a family. And uh, when I've uh, counseled at times uh, different family members who have someone in the family has, has left them, maybe it was uh, someone uh, who was not expected to go because of their age or because of the situation, maybe it was sudden, uh, maybe it was um, unexpected, and one, one thing that I try to remind the family of in those circumstances is that you will all grieve differently. And you need to be prepared that th the fact that you grieve differently, it, it, it could become a source of tension in, in your relationship as a family. Because you may look at that person and say, well, they're not grieving as, as deeply as I think they should because they're not grieving like I am. Well, maybe they're just not grieving in the same way that you're grieving. Maybe you're, maybe you're more expressive. For, for Joseph, Joseph, a godly man, he fell on his father and he wept. And he wept. We see a number of times in, in the chapters of, of Genesis that focus on Joseph. Joseph weeping. Joseph was a man of great emotion. We don't see... Uh, any of the other uh, any of the other sons highlighted i'm sure that they were all devastated i'm sure that they all loved their dad but it was joseph who was the who was the one the, the emotional one who had been separated from his dad for so long that fell on his father and wept so openly and so we're all going to grieve differently but we need to make sure that as we grieve as believers that we grieve with hope and that's really the that's really the, the command tonight from, from God to those of us who are saved, that, that we must grieve. It's not a sin to grieve. 
grief is a, is a season of life. It's not just a, an event. It's not just a week. Here we have even the entire nation went into an extended period of mourning. And Joseph had a, sp- a specific time of mourning that he had for his dad. Uh, but we need to make sure that as we grieve, that we are grieving not as those who have no hope, but as those who do have hope. Because we have the hope of eternal life in Jesus Christ if we're saved. And if the person that we're grieving is a believer in Christ, and I say present tense, is a believer, because they're, if they're absent from the body, they're present with the Lord. Yes, we grieve the loss of their fellowship. And yes, we grieve the, the, the bitterness of the separation of the, the soul from the body, which is uh, a, a sting, a, a present day sting. But see, the promise of Scripture is there's a day coming where we'll say, hey, death, where's that sting? Hey, grave, where's that victory? I, I, I know I used to feel that sting. I know I used to feel that victory. But, but that victory you had, that sting is gone. That pain is gone because we'll be with the Lord and we'll be with our loved ones who love the Lord. And so uh, we need to make sure that we are grieving Uh, the loss of loved ones, that we are supporting others who are grieving, that we are weeping with those who weep, that we understand that that is a season of life and that uh, we need to be willing to walk through that with others, even if it's not a a loss that I am personally experiencing because it's not my family member or it's not someone I love. Or maybe it is a family member, but it's just for whatever reason. I'm not dealing with it in the same way as another family member, I need to be willing to grieve the loss of loved ones. Well, here's the second thing I want to point out to you tonight. Look at verses 15 uh, and following. And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead. Now, there's some debate as to exactly where does verse 15 fall in this narrative? Does it happen after the entourage from Egypt to Canaan and after the burial, after the, after the ceremony and, and the funeral service, the memorial service for, uh, for Israel, and then after they come back to Egypt? Or does it happen after he dies while they're in the season of mourning, those, 40 day, those first 40 days? Uh, is it happening during that time? When exactly does this happen? The fact that we don't know, we can't be dogmatic. But it appears to be, uh, the best guess, it appears to be even before they left Egypt. Sometime shortly after their father's death, when Joseph's brethren saw their father was dead, seems to indicate it was very soon after, uh, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us and will certainly requit us all the evil which we did unto him. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he dies, saying, So shall ye say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin. For they did unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. And his brethren also went and fell down before his face, which, if you recall, was a fulfillment of the prophecy, another fulfillment of the prophecy that he had when he was just a teenager. God gave him this, this dream 
that his brothers would fall down before him. Then they've already done it in, in the sense of the position of authority had been, he had been placed in. But now here we see them falling down again. Remember, interesting, he had two dreams about it, isn't it? Interesting. And so his brethren also went, fell down before his face. They said, Behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not. For I, now, listen, am I in the place of God? We'll come back to that. But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Now, therefore, fear ye not. I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. Joseph is one of the most powerful examples for us in the Bible that when we see genuine repentance in those who have wronged us, God calls men and women of faith to relieve the debts of the repentant. To relieve their debt. When we see genuine repentance, now I know that there are some who say, well, you should just repent no matter what, because that's how God does it. That's not how God does it. When Jesus was on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He, he, was, he was relinquishing them the debt that they were doing something in ignorance. And we should be willing to forgive those who do things in ignorance. But the biblical model is, if it's not in ignorance, if it's done in intention, that we are to look for what John the Baptist called the fruit of repentance. When the Pharisees came to him and, and said that they were going to repent of their sins, John the Baptist didn't say, oh, okay, well, let me baptize you. He said, go give me some fruit. Go show some fruit. And when we see that the repentance is genuine, then we should be willing to release the debt and to relieve the person of what they owe us. And why is that? I'll give you a couple reasons. Number one, life is too short to hang on to hurts. It's too short. It's too short for bitterness. It's too short for resentment. It's too short for grudges. And the amount of pain that so many Christians bring upon themselves, the burden that they carry, the stress that they put on their own heart. And I don't just mean their spiritual heart. I mean the actual physical stress that they put on their physical heart because of unforgiveness and bitterness and jealousy and resentment and things that they just won't let go. Joseph is a powerful reminder that when we see genuine repentance, we release the debt. And why do we do that? Because our forgiveness of others is based on God's forgiveness of us. Joseph said, am I in the place of God? Am I God? See, Joseph, we, we don't know, other than he, when he was a teenager, he's a little cocky, a little proud, telling his brothers, telling his dad, hey, y'all going to bow down to me someday, talking smack to his family, and not talking friendly smack because they weren't friendly with him. I mean, he was not a stupid kid. He was not dumb. Uh, he could tell that his older brothers did not like being told that they were going to have to bow down to him someday. So we know that he, he was not a perfect kid, but we, we don't know the, we don't know the, the, 
dark and dirty secrets of, of Joseph's life after that. But we know that he was a sinner just like us. We know that he was, was imperfect. We know that he had his own struggles just like us. And so Joseph says, Joseph is very well aware of his humanity. And Joseph says, I am not God. I am not going to try to play God and to determine uh, which of you I should forgive what and all this. He's, I'm, just re- I'm just releasing it. I'm just giving it to God. I'm going to let God be the judge. I'm going to let God take care of it. Jesus told a parable in Luke chapter 19. I'll just summarize it for you very quickly about a, a very wicked servant. That was the word, the term that Jesus used. A servant who owed an incredible debt to the king and he could never repay it. And he's brought before the king and he's begging for mercy. And the king has compassion on this man who has this incalculable debt and he just forgives it. And the first thing that the man does, the servant does, is he is he is released of his debt is he goes and finds somebody who owes him a relatively small amount of money and he grabs him and he grabs him by the collar and he says, you pay me what you owe me. And then the other servants were talking, as we all do, we all talk. And they were talking about what had happened in this this dramatic scene that this guy who had just been forgiven. And the king hears about it and the king drags him in, calls him a wicked servant, says, you're going to you're going to pay me back now. You're going to prison until you pay me back every penny. And then Jesus says something that is chilling. He says, this is what the father will do to you. If you do not forgive men from your heart. So what does that mean? Does God kick us out of the family if we're not forgiving? That's not what he says. But he will put us in prison. With some of us living in a prison of our own of our own making. We're behind bars of our own making because of the unforgiveness that we have, because of bitterness, because we just haven't let it go. We just won't release it. And so we, we are actually forging the chains. This is God's, God's discipline of us. We actually forge the chains and forge the bars of our own imprisonment until God brings us to the point where we recognize how much we have been forgiven. Right? It was the prostitute weeping, wiping her tears with her hair, Jesus wiping, crying on Jesus' feet and, and, and wiping with her, with her hair. And the Pharisees sitting there going, man, if this guy was a prophet, he just proved he's not, or he wouldn't let he, this, this whore, what she's doing to this man, Jesus knew his heart. Jesus said, you know why you don't love much? Because you don't think you've been forgiven much. But if you know you've been forgiven much, then you will love much. So the problem is we need to realize how much we have been forgiven. And when we realize just how bad we are, just how amazing God's grace is in our life, then it, then it enables us and empowers us by the Holy Spirit to forgive those who uh, have wronged us and who are repentant. And we cease to hold on to those bitter feelings and we release them. Because not only is how we grieve evidence of what we believe, but how we forgive is also evidence of what we believe. And then here's the third thing I would say, the other side of that coin. And that's from the perspective of the brothers who are so afraid 
that Joseph's forgiveness was not legit. That Joseph's forgiveness was just, he's just playing a game because he doesn't want dad to see what he really wants to do to us. And as soon as dad is gone, all Joseph is going to show what he's really like. No, Joseph was a man after God's own heart. Joseph was a man who had been forgiven and understood the power, understood how God had used their evil for God's good and for their good. And so the lesson for us is that we need to receive forgiveness. When someone is merciful to us, when someone is graceful to us and they forgive us of something that we knowingly did against them, we rebelled against them, we, we said horrible things to them or about them, or we did something terrible to them, we failed them, and, and we have genuinely repented and they have genuinely forgiven us, we need to receive that forgiveness. We need to receive the forgiveness of God, folks. We, now, if you're saved, you've been forgiven, but sometimes we forget. Sometimes we forget just what we have been forgiven. And it's why Hebrews says to us, you must come boldly to the throne of grace to find mercy and grace. Don't think that you are the one person who is so special that your sin cannot be scrubbed clean by the blood of Jesus. Don't think that you are so unique. And so it's, it's a reverse form of pride, this self-absorption that I'm, oh, God couldn't forgive my sin that way. God's ho- Listen, if you take it before the throne, he is faithful and just. When you confess that sin, when you genuinely, re- are you, I'm, I'm saying you're genuinely repenting of it. I'm not saying you just prayed it, oh God, please forgive me so I can go do it again tomorrow. I'm not talking about those kind of prayers. I'm saying that God has brought genuine sorrow, godly sorrow into your heart, and you have genuinely repented. You have to, by faith, understand that God has forgiven you. You have to live like it. You have to stop living in the shame of sin that has already been removed as far as the east is from the west, and you've already been forgiven. See, accepting forgiveness is an act of faith. Romans 8, 1, there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Doesn't mean you won't have consequences. Doesn't When you repent and God forgives you, doesn't mean the consequences magically go away. Doesn't mean God doesn't discipline you. He does. He loves you. But there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so boldly come before the throne of grace. So grieve the loss of loved ones. Relieve the debt of the repentant. Receive the forgiveness of the merciful. Here's the last one. Believe the promises of God. This is, and this sums up what we've been studying since chapter 12. Chapter 12 to chapter 50. Why all this drama? It's not because God wanted to put a soap opera in his Bible. It, sometimes it reads like a soap opera. But it's not a soap opera. It's because God wants to show himself faithful to us even when we are not faithful. He is faithful to us. And when God says something, he doesn't go back on that. He doesn't change his mind. He doesn't rethink it and say, oh, maybe I shouldn't have promised them so much. Eh, Maybe I'll walk that back a little bit. God keeps his promises. Look at verse 22. And Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's house. And Joseph lived 110 years. And Joseph, now we can already see, by the way, the, 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 li- the, the lifespan's shrinking as we get farther into the book. 
And Joseph saw Ephraim's children, so his grandkids, of the third generation, the children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh. So now we're getting to uh, great-grandkids, right? And they were brought up upon Joseph's knees. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I die, and God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land unto the land which he sware to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel. So now it's Joseph. So now we have gone from the deathbed of Israel to the deathbed of Joseph. We're jumping forward in time now. We're going, what's that movie? Uh, uh, Four Weddings and a Funeral? I never saw it, but there, there was some movie. that We're getting we're a couple funerals here in this, in this section of Scripture. And Joseph is here at his funeral, and just as, just, or here at his deathbed, and just as his father was given grace to be able to say some things before he died, to prophesy. So now Joseph is prophesying to the children of Israel who are all gathered around. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones from hence. So Joseph died being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Now, this may seem like a strange way to end this book. But this is how we all end. If the Lord tarries. It's how we all end. Because of sin. Because we go back to chapter 3. Because of sin. Now we all end, it, we all end in death. But it's notice it's not just death now. It's death with hope. Death with hope. Because now I am... Going the, I'm, I'm going to go be with my, my family. Now I'm going to go on just as my dad did and be gathered to my family. But God is faithful. God will keep his promise. God is faithful. God will keep his promise. You know why I know that that's the point here and why this is so powerful? Because in Hebrews chapter 11, when the writer of Hebrews, by the Holy Spirit's inspiration, was going through the hall of faith, the Faith Hall of Fame. And he got to Joseph. He didn't talk about his faith in the pit. He didn't talk about his faith in, Pot faith in Potiphar's house. He didn't talk about his faith in prison. He didn't talk about his great faith as God elevated him to the palace. He talked about his faith on his deathbed. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 21. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying blessed both the sons of Joseph and worship leaning upon the top of the staff. Verse 22, by faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. Death is a reality because of man's sin. But God's promises prevail. And even on his deathbed, Joseph was praising the promises of God and preaching the promises of God and trusting in the promises of God. And what do we need to do, do tonight? Whatever situation of life we're going through, we got to know and believe and claim those promises of God. That's what the walk of faith is all about. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the incredible testimonies of these men and women of faith God now because of what Jesus has done our brothers and sisters and we're going to get to spend forever with them 
and gonna uh, God find out all kinds of things that that were not included in your scriptures that we didn't need to know now, but that we'll get to know then. But Father, help us today to live in God the uh, imitation of their great acts of faith, despite their failures. God, their faith in you and your faithfulness to them. That God, thank you for the incredible promises that you gave them, but thank you, God, even more for the incredible promises you've given to us. God, you'll never leave us. You'll never forsake us. Uh, God, you, you will always be there for us. And we have hope forever because of what Jesus has done for us. And so, Father, whatever 2024 holds, help us to remember through the testimonies of Abraham and Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and all of the lives that we've studied uh, in this study, Lord, that you are trustworthy. You never fail. You are faithful. And you will be there through whatever we face this year. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. That's all for today. I hope this has made a positive impact in your relationship with Jesus. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior and you'd like to know how, give one of our pastors a call at 301-724-5876. We would love nothing more than to share the good news with you. If you've never joined us in person, we have services multiple times throughout the week that we would love to see you at. They are Sunday morning Bible study at 9.15 a.m., Sunday morning service at 10.30 a.m., Sunday evening service at 6.30 p.m., and Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. We also have opportunities for our students to gather. The youth group for grades 6 through 12 meets at 6 o'clock p.m. on Sundays, and our WANA program for 6th grade and under meets at 6.15 p.m. on Wednesdays. Again, we thank you for joining us today, and we hope to see you soon. But until next time, stay faithful.